Thanks for clicking on or listening to or watching, whether you're here live or watching the past broadcast of another episode of the Reforge Roundtable, a weekly podcast where we talk about all the latest and greatest gaming news. 30 and still gaming is still recovering with a voice issue, not feeling so hot, but he is feeling better. He's resting that voice. I am joined by Ginger Prime. Good to see you, sir. Thanks, man, for having me back. Sorry about last week. We hit, we lost 30, and then last week I ended up in the ER with a with a with like a tooth horrible accident thing, and then was like, all right, well, sorry, creature, sorry, Lono. Uh, we're going to have to, I'm, I'm going to have to dip out. So um, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be feeling good, and I'm glad to be talking video games. Well, we may do. I'm going to end the previous stream and bring people over from the Modern Warfare 2 gameplay stream, and uh, we actually are going to talk about that a little bit. That is one of the topics in this uh, in this video is Call of Duty, the big showcase, Modern Warfare 2, Warzone 2. Uh, I actually had a great time in the beta once I switched to a particular mode, and we'll talk about what that mode was. We're also going to be talking about God of War Ragnarok finally really dropping the big one this week and kind of pulling out all the stops as it seems. And... New World is is hitting good numbers, according to Brian. You know, yeah. I've not been, I've not been paying attention to it. I did a reaction video to his video, and it was the, the the reaction from the community was that I was just trying to grab relevancy from New World. Uh, now nah. that it's important again, I was like, oh really? I don't think they realize that, I like covered and played the game for like a month and a half. That critique is gonna is gonna fly out uh, everywhere against content creators as they as they start to take a look back. And my uh, counter argument to anybody who has that view mm-hmm. is legitimately like you want people covering it, and you don't have to cover it in like we don't want just like all positive like this game is great. You should absolutely play it now. Coverage we want to make sure we have a lot of voices and more people talking about it is always good, even if they're bashing it. It's always good, but no, your reaction was phenomenal. I, I enjoyed it. I, I watched every uh, every second of it, and I enjoy people reacting to my content. We've not even as a topic. Maybe we'll save it for like a, a members the members post show, but reaction content and its meta and the positive and negative impacts. Because at the end of the day, the numbers show reaction content is great. Being reacted to isn't good for the like the uh, the original creator. And so we can talk about that later if you want in the after show, but. Lots to talk about, dude, and yeah, I'm definitely the New World Friday guys right now because I'm I'm tickled because there's so much so many good things going on uh, in the game. Well, and you also have stuff about Square Enix. We'll talk about that for a little bit. I, I've even got some thoughts on Forspoken because we got to mm-hmm. see some trailers with Japanese voice acting, and I've got some thoughts on how I'm going to play that game. But let's start with the big boy in the room, God of War Ragnarok. So there was a narrative swirling. You had the original creator of God of War, David Jaffe, calling the game Mm -hmm. DLC. Then you had people saying it looked like DLC. And then during a state of play this week, uh, it was on September the 13th, they said they were going to have just some stuff with Japanese developers and some hardware. And then they dropped two pretty significant things, more information on the exclusive quest for Hogwarts Legacy and they also dropped the story trailer for God of War Ragnarok. And this is probably one of the best trailers I think I've ever watched myself from the voice acting, pacing scripts, uh, the original score. Holy moly. And I basically said, this is it. This is the end of the matter. No one can claim this looks like DLC. No one can claim this doesn't look like a sequel. And I still got pushback from people. Funny enough, they said there, were, you know, there wasn't enough gameplay in the trailer. And I... 
I'm just curious what you think. Like, if you've watched the trailer and have seen the feedback on this game in particular, what are your thoughts on this as a as a subject? As a, as almost like a yeah. phenomenon now, is like we're going to be critical to something from you know, a couple of trailers. I, I think that uh, there is this easy incentive of this negative feedback loop in terms of Ragnarok. You have outside of the Sony ponies and the Xbox, you know, warring it out for no for internet points or what have you. Uh, the, the this game is the only thing that like it is already the pinnacle it's already the game that people are moving out of the season so that they are not stacked up against because no matter what you're going to be compared against it the hope there will be a few sacrificial lambs that will be out there and you want to have that because not god of war ragnarok isn't going to appeal to every gamer out there uh but at, at its core like the the argument of labeling this as dlc the argument of putting these things out there there's a like if we want to look at the positive side of things is that if you want if we want to un if we want to deflate any kind of hype around this game and call it just straight up garbage right at the start and mm-hmm. then it comes out well then awesome like it's better than i was expecting i thought this was going to be a dlc um but it ended up not being that so there's a positive way in that regards but i always kind of just get suspect whenever especially in the content creation space the, the post like the posting on twitter space like it seems very attention hungry really trying to get those internet points for cloud of like just trying to dog on something for the sake of dogging on it um and there's going to be obviously various angles of why people would do that like obviously i think xbox uh fans are upset about you know their games kind of moving out of this this fall but at the end of the day you're going to play you know god of war ragnarok and then you're going to finish god of war ragnarok and if the other games are then ready maybe overall as gaming goes we might have a more smoothed out 2023 as opposed to the rush of like we're gonna put all the games in february and then we'll see you guys in november for god of war you know like that that aspect so i i think it's it's childish to call this dlc i think uh that's but that's my view of whenever i see like internet uh tribes going at it in a real way not like if you just want to meme on you know something we like Mm -hmm. to meme on final fantasy 14 chris and i were having a, a field day today when his friends like to kind of ask him, you know, funny little ways that that dig at 14 because they're like a certain gamer of a certain type. And that's always funny because, you know, that that person's teasing. But in the Internet, like whenever you're like my my worldview depends on this, then I just go, well, maybe you need to go touch grass. <laughs> well, it's funny because I touched on this. I reacted to a Starfield video by Force Gaming and I touched on this in the reaction video. Yeah. I said, it depends on the day of the week and, and what I'm defending or criticizing what I would hear from the audience. Because there were days where I was defending Starfield. And I said, I, I think some of this stuff looks very good. I thought the characters looked very much improved from the previous game. And I was told that, oh, you're just a fanboy defending Starfield. And then, change the day, yeah. I was being critical or concerned about some of the performance issues I saw in the trailer. And I was told that I was being a hater. And it's just kind of like, I. it depends on the day of the week and what game you're covering and what angle you're covering it from, what you might hear. Yeah. And Ragnarok definitely feels that way because I even did a video where I was annoyed with Ragnarok. I felt like the marketing was just starting to get annoying. It's like, can you please just say something, show something, do something? And I was even annoyed that they kept it super secret that they were going to be at that state of play because... The way they promoted the state of play was like you guys probably didn't have that much viewership for the state of play but they probably counted on the the wow factor of it suddenly showing up 
you know, making big press headlines. And in that coverage where I said I was a little bit of an, you know, annoyed or whatever, I had people who weren't even watching the video leaving me like nasty comments defending God of War because I think they just assumed from the thumbnail I was going to be negative. And I was like, I'm not being yeah. negative. I was asking the question, should we start to restructure our expectations around the marketing of video games now are we expecting way too much too soon because that has not gone that well for a lot of titles and it seems like some titles are moving away from that it's i feel like it's worked against uh, a lot of titles that's why when apex legends launched i go i would love to see this as the model make the game have the game ready to go and then hey guess what we're gonna market it and by the way you can play today or you can play next week to where all of a sudden you don't have the ability to start having this you know, kind of anti-hate, you know, crowd build itself up and and have any kind of presence in the algorithm itself. But listen, like what you just described is how I describe the internet. On a, on the same day, I was called both a homosexual and a homophobe. And I was like, well, clearly the internet can't make up its mind about mm-hmm. anything in that regards. So you I'm getting prejudged for that. Like that's, I think, what the internet in and of itself does. It's all about those hot take, hot moments. What is going to get me the attention uh, you know, like that and just trying to either get a reaction out of the creator or just trying to get some kind of engagement maybe in the comments itself. So in and of itself, yeah, like I'm excited. I've I've never played a God of War uh, game, but I'm still rooting that God of War crushes mm-hmm. it this, this fall. Like I want it to be good. There's people, there's hundreds of people who have poured blood, sweat and tears. And if Sony... One of the things I respect a lot about Sony is I always feel like they give the games the time that they need. And that means sometimes things are going to have a longer development cycle, but I think that it pays off because it automatically, I I feel like God of War Ragnarok is going to come out and it's going to be a quality game worthwhile of me going out and buying a PlayStation and buying it. I'm not because I don't have that kind of, that kind of finances or that luck in finding a PS5, but this also still coming to PS4. So for those out there, I'm personally be like, bring the PC and uh, and let's and let's talk. And that's 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 more controversial right now, uh, more than anything. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of people. I've I've gotten some comments. I did, I had a short where I talked about the trailer, and I had a lot of comments that said, "I'm so bummed as a PC player. I can't believe I have to wait to play this." And I thought. Mm-hmm. That's Sony's strategy working. The fact that you got to play the 2018 game, you played a four-year-old game, and now you're dying to get the sequel. Yeah, yeah. You know, these people might be starting to check out those PS5s and you know try to snag one. And the trailer started a conversation in my brain, and a similar conversation started when Elden Ring started its big promotion cycle. And I remember mm-hmm. watching the, the the trailers and the gameplay for Elden Ring, and I said, "Oh boy, that's game of the year right there." That's you, you do the same thing with movies. You're like, "Ooh, that's yeah. Ooh. that's going to go for the best movie, you know, best actor." And this this story trailer did something similar. I thought, "Oh boy, those scales might be tipping. This thing is going to make a run for game of the year." How much do you think? that is affecting the conversation now given that I think Elden Ring had it in the bag in many people's minds but God of War is is climbing up out of the water and it looks to be a Leviathan title not that I thought it wasn't going to be good but it's looking far bigger in scope and story than many people were probably thinking talk about two fandoms clashing um, for internet drama uh, shenanigans uh, at the end of the day like 
freaking Elden Ring is, I think, a masterpiece. And if any, if God of War Ragnarok delivers and then some on what it was, what it's building off of, then I think essentially, yeah, you've got two Titans going head to head. And in my mind, there aren't any losers there. You know, like gamers got really good games this year. Now, as for who is to claim the title, <laughs> oh man. It's not going to be pretty for whomever has to make that announcement because then there's automatically people are going to be frustrated one way or the other. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, Elden Ring isn't without its controversy. You had the whole kick up of, uh, you know, gamers feeling like that games should be accessible to everybody and that there shouldn't be difficulty in games. And that's a conversation that comes up every time there's a game that is difficult. But also, like, I think it was in chat, it was Corey talking about how uh, there seems to be this trend in which that uh, gamers are actually just this hateful towards game that this this rise of the 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 angry gamer uh so to speak and how that in and of itself is this uh is this awful trend as well so you got a couple different moving forces i having not played god of war probably not going to pick up obviously ragnarok because just i don't think this would be the one i would start with personally i'd probably pick up the original on steam if i was going to sit down and, and play through one yeah um, but at, at the at the end of the day like I mean, I can't, I can't, I couldn't weigh in because I, I yeah, I'm not going to have experience and the game isn't even out yet. You, what do you think? You need to play it. You need to play 2018. I think there are certain games that people should play. I, I, there's, it's too good. The story, the voice acting, the original score, it's just too, it's too excellent to not play. The mm -hmm. character that, the guy that portrays and voice acts Balder, he plays the, the translator in Saving Private Ryan, and he also plays Daniel Faraday in Lost. He is absolutely phenomenal. What he brings to that character, and I, I think we're getting similar levels of voice acting quality in this next one, just from the trailer alone. Tyr and who we think is Odin, I, it's just unbelievable. And just the dialogue between the characters and the lore that you get when playing through God of War 2018 is worth it. I, I don't do this. My, my, my chat will tell you. I don't like to listen to dialogue and diatribes and do a lot of reading. But in God of War, it is one of the titles where I will stop and I will listen and let them finish. And the great thing that they do is Atreus and and Kratos will be having a conversation about something. And then eventually they add another character to the to the ensemble who's also giving great lore. You'll get back in the boat and they'll say, so anyway, they'll pick it up where they left off. So it's nice. not one of those games where you awkwardly accidentally skip something because you dock the boat. And you're like, oh no, I thought they were going to keep talking. I really appreciated the care they took with that. It's like, it's just dialogue as you're moving, traveling, and doing stuff. And the way they pick it back up is is just excellent. So I would say if you can play it on a really good PC or you know maybe once you get your hands on a PS5, you definitely want to play 2018 before you play Ragnarok because it is one of the better games to experience the top shelf Sony first person title, you know, encyclopedia of games that are out there. Mm, good to know. Good to know. If it runs on Steam Deck, I'm playing through Spider Man right now on my Steam Deck mm. uh, and absolutely adoring it. Like it is such a, like Insomniac, I tell you, they have, and building off of obviously like Infamous, absolutely just like endured that game. And, uh, and so I'm really having a, a good time with that. So that definitely is like something that at the, uh, at the end of the day, I don't think that's the game I stream. I think that's just one of those like mm. kick back, relax, handheld and, and and go have fun with it because um, that definitely gives it. So I have to look it up after this to see um, once I finish with Spider-Man, if it's if it's Steam Deck ready, then I think that's definitely an easy win. 
Yeah, and as far as showcases go, we still haven't even seen the PlayStation Showcase, so that is likely sometime this month. I think they're waiting for Tokyo Game Show to finish with that. What that'll conclude on on Sunday, and then I'm mm-hmm. assuming they're going to announce the, the the PlayStation Showcase, and I'm hoping we get a really really good breakdown of gameplay improvements and different things like they did with Horizon Forbidden West, because now that the Last of Us remake is out. The runway's open. It's it's Ragnarok's yeah. time. It's time for all sources and resources to be dedicated to promoting this game. So there is more coming that we will likely cover on this show as well as on uh, just the, the Reforge Gaming talk show. And within the realm of big showcases, Call of Duty did not spare a single dime yesterday with their big showcase that they did announcing, not announcing, but showing a whole lot more of Modern Warfare 2 Warzone 2.0, Call of Duty Warzone Mobile. It was unbelievable. And I was irritated, obviously, as a live entertainer with the pacing. Now, there could have been technical problems. They kept saying, oh, gameplay is coming up, coming up. They murdered all momentum. Like, they, we were all waiting, and then they went live with a 30-minute timer. That's strike number one. I was like, what on <laughs> earth? And then as we build more momentum as the timer comes down... It kicks off with a bang, the trailer's amazing, but then the trailer has a technical issue and we get a black screen, so they run the trailer twice. Oh, no. And then, and the trailer was phenomenal, by the way, as somebody who listened to Nirvana and Foo Fighters and the Smashing Pumpkins in the 90s, hearing Bullet with Butterfly Wings in a trailer was such a throwback to my my teenage years. And the How many claims on your stream, though? (laughs) Funny enough, funny enough. That didn't get claimed, I guess, because it's a mashup. It's like a new version that more than likely okay. is what is hopefully whitelisted. So we didn't get a claim there. Uh, our Tokyo stream got a bunch of claims, but those are getting we're muting those. And so they kept saying after that point, we're going to get the gameplay. We're going to get the gameplay. And eventually, I think people just got annoyed and left like we literally lost viewers while waiting for gameplay, which I've never experienced that in a live environment. Usually there's just a, a momentum of upward trajectory i've been doing this for 10 years and i thought they lost the audience because i'm losing people hand over fist and we're just sitting here patiently waiting i think there might have been technical problems in any case they really have stepped up their game with this with this iteration i played the beta today and obviously the dilemma with call of duty any established franchise i always jump in this happened with vanguard i jump in i'm getting smoked it's like I, i it's my first game what is going on and my second game went a little bit better. And then I realized there were other game modes. So I jumped into Prisoner Rescue. This game makes me want to play Call of Duty, which is totally oh, yeah? weird. It's totally weird to say this because I'm not a COD guy. Like I, I burned myself out on Call of Duty. But it's round based. You're either rescuing or defending a hostage. You got different things you can do. I was like throwing cameras on the wall and monitoring, you know, where the enemy locations were. Obviously, you have different uh, left, right, and center routes to take to try to get to the hostages or to defend them. And it was just really, really satisfying gameplay. And the gunplay felt tight and responsive. I never once felt like, man, the guns feel loose or maybe there's too much recoil. And the only thing, you know, a couple of times maybe felt a little bit laggy and and felt like, oh man, I shot first. You know, the classic Call of Duty feeling of I shot first. But once I got in a groove with Prisoner Rescue, the only frustration was if you have a couple of bad rounds, you kind of get cold. You know, you haven't you haven't been shooting, you haven't been doing anything for a while. So 
it, it, is with all the announcements, with the improvements to Modern mm-hmm. Warfare 2, with Warzone 2.0, and they're saying raids are coming to Modern Warfare 2, they're going to be like Destiny. Where, where do you land on the interest spectrum here? Because this is definitely a game that everybody's played at least once. So, Modern Warfare 2, when it originally came out, this was the exit point for modern uh, for Call of Duty for me originally. Not that actually I, I disliked Modern Warfare 2. I liked it immensely. This was a game that I played a lot of back in the day. But ended up happening after that, I felt like the series started to go downhill. This is right after uh, Infinity Ward, uh, the, like, you know, the whole split, and then that created a respawn over it with EA. Like, that's essentially what happened right after this game. And so uh, Modern Warfare 2, in my mind, is still one of the most pinnacle-defining versions of the game itself. And so everything you've obviously just detailed Here's the question that I am evaluating because with the acquisition uh, pending with Microsoft, like obviously this year is going to be for sale. It's still with Activision Blizzard. You still have all of these things. Um, It feels like every time that I've kind of jumped back into Call of Duty, I've always financially regretted it. Uh, (laughs) But you're, you're, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Like, it's always like, wow. Like, how is, how is like, and I find myself asking like dumb questions like, why is the billion dollar franchise still have matchmaking and getting into a group and, and crashing on this console? Why is this still a thing? Like how, how did this get all the way to this point? And I think a lot of that's mm. been within the development cycle, but modern warfare Two uh, and the warfare uh, Warzone zone uh, two uh, coming out as well does intrigue me as a fallen away fan. And as a, as a disgruntled fan of call of duty, as we start to look towards its future, uh, here, you know, and ultimately what ends up happening, um, you know, with it. Having not gone hands-on with it, I've, I'm kind of for Modern Warfare 2, for any Call of Duty, anything that has that branding that is not immediately in Game Pass, they kind of have to earn my trust back. And that's going to that's gonna be like, I'll give it a week. I'll give it, you know, maybe maybe two weeks. And if then the the positive vibes are still there, people aren't saying like, oh my gosh, like it's the net code's broken and there's launch issues like then essentially I think that's going to be worth then checking out for me personally. I don't see everybody's got to follow my, my lead. It's just that I've been there for a couple of ones and it's like, what's gone wrong? Like, why is this not, you know, meshing up to what I want it to be? Um, and then all of that being said is that, you know, if it was in game pass, it'd be an instant play. Um, but I'm going to kind of wait and see, let the thing kind of let all the tree, you know, shake it's all the nuts out and see where, where everything falls because we've even seen in the past where, they've delayed certain kind of monetization strategies and, and things like that only to then release them after all the reviews themselves are out like a couple of weeks after the fact. So when it comes to Call of Duty, like there's still, I still see that Activision overlord. Um, and despite this being my favorite Call of Duty um, in, in the history of my, my time with the, with the franchise, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to play the skeptic in terms of, all right, that looks great you're great at marketing. We all know you're great at marketing, except for obviously all the technical issues with the stream. Right. But, you know, but I will absolutely give, give it another crack. Uh, assuming that like after, after it's been out or mm-hmm. what's the vibe, uh, what's the vibe. And then the idea that they either bring in the concept of raids. Some of these things I think will be really interesting to see because we could bring this right back to halo. What the hell is halo doing this fall? It delayed its season. Like the season three kicks off, you know, in, uh, in the spring. Um, so if I'm not playing around with the forge beta, then 
yeah, maybe maybe I need a, a new shooter this uh, this fall to kind of you know kind of take some sting off of it. But I ain't I ain't going to be a day oneer um, with uh, with this version. I mean, I'm going to be a day oneer I because mean, I have such a history with the franchise. I love shooters, and obviously, as a content creator, you, certain certain times like you you know you don't have a choice, right? You, you, you got, know, yeah, you, you be relevant or be forgotten. You know. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, should we risk trying to play the beta and my you know creature was like what do you mean yes play it try play it <laughs> it's like the servers will be fine it's call of duty which to their credit yeah I, I had no issue i got in right away i think i had one little blip where i had to like go back into the game one time i was i was in the lobby and it like kicked me back and so it wasn't even i was in a game and i'll be day one for a couple of reasons number one i have always loved a good call of duty campaign because mm-hmm. there is something it's like it's like mom's home cooking to a certain degree. Just playing through a Call of Duty campaign is so familiar. It's so, to me, the the cutting ground of where I first got into shooters outside of obviously when I played GoldenEye and then Time Splitters. That would be the only oh, shooters. Oh, Time Splitters, dude. Yeah. Time, time, splitters, splitters, time splitters 2. Yeah, Time Splitters and Time Splitters 2 and Wolfenstein 3D. Those would be the only shooters I played before Call of Duty, you know, because I played Call of Duty and Quake 3 and Unreal Tournament kind of all around the same time. And so there's just something fun about playing through a Call of Duty campaign. And then when I play through multiplayer and I feel like, oh, hey, they put some stuff in here that I can enjoy. Because the minute you're in the quick twitch, need to check every corner, you know, meat grinder of Team Deathmatch, (laughs) I just don't... It's so hard to enjoy that because you're either you're literally either losing or winning and so there's there's no joy and the reason i was enjoying prisoner rescue was because even when i was down and out i could watch my teammates and like cheer for them and had some really exciting moments watching my teammates clutch up or yelling at my teammates for playing like morons you know whichever uh that, that emotional investment is there but it creates a more dynamic experience and I love that they did that. Like, they brought a game mode where I can be a little bit more engaged. Now, I have questions about why they went with this. I don't know if you've seen this. When you're dead and spectating your teammates, it's like a camera on the side of their head, kind of like the tactical cameras you see, you know, like when the government's watching, like, an, uh, you know, a black op or something. And it feels like you're drunk because it's, it's kind of fisheye, and you can't see what the guy's doing. Mm. You just see his gun. You don't see if he's aiming down sight or anything. So I'd like to be able to toggle off of that and see what they're actually doing. But other than that, I, I've I didn't have any gripes other than, you know, I got thrown into a sweat lobby my first match. Like that's never fun. It's like, well, I got four kills. I'm I, I died the whole time, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and once I got into Prisoner Rescue, I had a lot more fun. And then the the news that they're going to have like Destiny style raids. I'm saying to myself, wait a minute. That doesn't appeal to your average codhead. That appeals to me as mm-hmm. a as a guy who played Borderlands and had played right. Destiny and had played all these games. That appeals to me, which is interesting because I, I'm 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 very curious about how it's designed, how difficult it will be. Does that at all move the needle for you? Of like, yes, absolutely. Uh, well, absolutely. It's one of the things that. I actually, I, I don't know if you and I were talking about this, but I was saying that before Infinite launched, Halo Infinite, I was like, what is it going to do that's going to pull me away from Destiny? The unique hook of Destiny is that you're really investing in your character, right? And also, if you don't feel like going into PvP, you have PvE-style content. 
And there's nothing more frustrating than, especially when you want to keep playing a game and maybe it's a little late and you're tired and you're like, okay, I'm clearly not performing at my best in PvP. Man, how nice would it be to continue to play this game? But I could go shoot some bad guys. You know, I could just go do this. And the campaign being disconnected from any progress of multiplayer. So the idea that they could bring in raids, uh, that, that, that to me invites the idea that you have a character that you are progressing and you're leveling. And who knows if it's a separate mode because we've seen them do obviously kind of like, and I'm going to put like, I'm drawing a blank on the name for the term, but like where you have the the various different kind of monsters and, and waves that you're, the, mm-hmm. you know, they're kind of horde mode and in the fantasy worlds and stuff like that. Like that always was like a really cool piece of content that I enjoyed actually in COD, but I could never get my friends to go play it. But if there's a unified progression that kind of ties into whether you're doing PVP or PVE, um, then that's really exciting. And the idea of raids themselves sounds yep. exciting. It sounds like it's the evolution of kind of what they're what they're working towards. And then they all of a sudden, man, you put Call of Duty right back, you know, on the map and it offers something that maybe it, like at the end of the day, if people don't like it, then I don't think you see it happen uh, after that. But if it becomes a success, you end up seeing why aren't other shooters offering raids and, and et cetera as well. I would love to see dungeons brought into Halo Infinite. I'm not going to lie. Like, I think if they brought in like four man uh, strike team, you know, like PVE, you're you're working your way through and you got bosses and stuff like that. Like sometimes I think that'd be more fun to play that than doing the PVP. But, you know, again, content is king. <laughs> Maybe people will create some in Forge because they're hey. clearly the community is creating better content than 343 is with Forge. The <laughs> official, the I don't know if this is the official description, but this is a description that was put in the Discord about the raids. Raids are a whole new experience for the franchise, a three-player cooperative engagement requiring teamwork and strategic puzzle solving thinking in between bouts of intense combat so it does sound like it's going to get pretty intense pretty you know hunker down and survive but also you're gonna have to be strategic and solve puzzles to get through it i actually like that it's a a, it's a more of a stripped down three-man squad thing that to me sounds very promising because i do feel like in call of duty if it got into like six people it might just sort of feel like what is what are we what are we playing here but i think with three people it'll definitely feel more strategic and more planned out and you know because mm-hmm. I, I don't honestly know what they're going to do you know what are, what are we going to be fighting but it it makes me think of almost like division and destiny might spit out something yeah. here like a great hybrid between the two franchises i think that's something that i've been longing for uh that's one of the things i think you and i've talked about at length in terms of like the disappointment that anthem is no more uh, namely to have some other uh, option in the space to keep Destiny and Bungie in check because right now it feels like they are the show. Call of Duty would be a franchise that, like The Division, while The Division continues to have kind of its chaptered stuff happen more frequently, um, they are working on Division Homeland. Then all of a sudden, imagine if Call of Duty wanted to step into the space and this could be a good foray and good test of that is their demand. Imagine that. I think that would be a very beautiful mindset if they decided to create a looter shooter esque, you know, uh, you know, kind of games as a service mode. They already have that in War uh, Warzone, you know, so that they, they're getting some experience there, and to be able to offer that as a again a content product as opposed to like saying every Call of Duty from here on out is this. You could literally say, "Oh, hey, cool, we're gonna we're gonna franchise this piece of it," mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. how we've seen some of the best games. Endgame modes actually evolve. They've usually evolved off of 
hey, we actually found this little bit of fun and we decided to refine it. And I think Call of Duty would be a really good competitor to the likes of Destiny. Um, but the question then is, is like, what age do you set it in? And my personal vote would be sometime in the future because then you could end up having a lot more options. Because like the one struggle I've had with Division is that it's feels like it's so much more grounded into reality, aka Call mm. of Duty, yeah. that you're like, why is this guy like I, you know, took three thousand bullets? Like the you the that that line gets fractured really quickly when you start doing that. But if they did like a futuristic Call of Duty, then all of a sudden, yeah, you're on an alien world, or who knows, like what they would do that would kind of fi uh, file into it. But in the case of Modern Warfare Two and its raids, it'd be interesting to see because imagine going through waves of waves of enemies in terms of like you got a big bad and he's locked up in his fortress and you got to go do this to stop a nuclear bomb that would feel very uh very natural to that as long as the enemies weren't like and now you have to pour two thousand bullets into this one one right. guy because at some point you're just gonna be like well that's kind of silly mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. i'm like you've lost me here on that but yeah yeah, it's got to live inside the Modern Warfare 2 identity and world they've built. And, you know, Sven put in the Discord, imagine if you have to use specific loadouts and attachments to effectively do the encounters. And the thing I was thinking of when he was typing that is, if they did an ongoing game, and they did what some of these games are doing with random encounters, and maybe you have all these different set pieces that are randomly put together every time you go in, and you have different waves of enemies, different encounters, different things you have to do... And what I was doing in the Prisoner Rescue in, in Modern Warfare 2's open beta, I was going to the same spot every time and throwing a camera on the wall and like marking people and my teammates just picked it up. They'd go to the lane and they'd be like shooting down the lane and I was getting like experience points for them landing shots on the guys I was marking. And there was a couple of guys I couldn't mark because they were running a perk set, I'm sure. And I can just imagine playing through almost like a rogue it would feel a little bit like a roguelite mode where you're going through this randomly generated encounters and getting all the stuff you could then level up your character and level up loot and level up your camera and abilities and all these different things and if you're working in tandem with other players who are then also using their abilities i just they reworked the guns and the gunplay in this i i do think call of duty modern warfare 2 i think it's going to be hailed as the as the tightest best feeling shooter i think it's going to take the I crown so. I, I, I it's so. it's hard to take the crown from destiny because there's there's a secret sauce in the tiger engine and mm -hmm. then you've got respawn with apex but after playing this i feel like a lot of people are going to start claiming no no this is the best shooter this just feels like a tight next gen military shooter where no matter what gun you're using there's a crunchy tightness to it and it feels punchy. The sound, oh my gosh! Mm -hmm. I, I'm, you know, I'm wearing these Bose headphones, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of getting into it. And there were sections <laughs> where the metal stairs. I was on, I was on an escalator, and it was louder and echoey in the corridor. And I was trying to be quiet. And it was like ding, 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 ding. I was like, kind of like echoing. I was like, oh, come on, be quiet, be quiet. Like I'm trying to sneak. And then I came upstairs, and it was wood, you know, different. And then there was like glass crunching and breaking. Yeah. It just it. Even though I was like kind of annoyed, I was like, I keep dying. I was still picking up on they've really polished some of these pieces that would make a PVE environment like a raid or some sort of a randomly generated PVE encounter. It would just be so fun to be in that world and have all those great pieces of polish right there in front of you. 
Absolutely. I'm, I'm rooting for it. I'm just going to wait and see. I'll, I'll hang out on your streams and wait to make sure that like there isn't a boogeyman that's hiding behind the natural hype and quality that this game was back when I originally poured uh, so much time into it with me and my friends back in the day. Um, absolutely always going to root for it. I'm really excited by everything that has been revealed. Uh, but then again, I'm just going to say like, yeah, I, I, I made myself a promise with the last Call of Duty that I played that I was like, all right, I'm going to let I'm going to let this one sit out there for at least a week or two before I decided if it's worth uh, worthwhile rejumping back in and, and playing it. So that's going to be great because uh, thank you for jumping on and jumping in because then I can kind of hang out in the streams and, um, you know, and basically get tempted every time I, I lurk on your streams. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Warzone 2 and the Call of Duty Warzone mobile stuff, that that's not really a world that either of us live in. So that, that to me is like, hey, great for Warzone. Awesome. You know, maybe we'll do a plunder community game night or something. But I don't really touch that. I definitely won't be touching the mobile game. I'm sure it'll print money. I'm sure it'll print money, <laughs> which is exactly why, you know, PlayStation is, is nervous about it. And uh, that will continue to cover that as well. The, the PlayStation Xbox dispute about that because the UK CMA is going into a second stage. Uh, of their of them looking into it so what I want to do now though is not talk about a game that is uh, that's coming out or that there's betas for I want to talk about a game that uh, has been out for a while and and many of us have drifted away and you're telling me that they're hitting they're hitting new player records on Steam charts, I'm looking at 32,000 people playing right now. Mm-hmm. And just as a point of comparison, in July, their biggest number was 21,000. So they have spiked up. That was a peak, by the way. That was a, that was a peak mm-hmm. at 21,000. Right. They were usually in the teens, like 16,000. So they've pretty much doubled the player the concurrent player pool and that doubling started around September the 4th. So now, mm-hmm. 12 days running. What are they doing over there? Where'd all these people come from? So a couple of things are, are, have been actually happening. So right now, the peak is set at 40. was set this last weekend. The previous peak was set at 36. And so the question was, is that did the announcement just bring people back in to New World uh, for the hype? Oh, hey, news, they're brimstone. Okay, I'm excited. I'll check it back out, and then I'll either wait. Well, what we ended up seeing was interesting, too, because... When those announcements happened, the game was also 50% off. There was also a Twitch drop you know, campaign running as well. So generally speaking, there was like all these little marketing things that would be you know, positive for the game. Well, did all I, that did, turned Hang on, on. did Go I ahead. not say the name of the game? You didn't. That's why I said New World. <laughs> New World, sorry. I'm an idiot. I was setting that up with a segue and didn't actually say the name of the game. Sorry, continue. You're good. So all of those things actually turned off and then the game actually had the highest concurrent over the course of the weekend we've seen them uh, spin up new servers which can prove to be problematic i think the key feature they need regarding their server infrastructure is cross server play uh, to help mitigate uh risk of a server quote unquote dying and needing to be turned off because back in july they they merged a lot of worlds which i think was the right call but here they are actually spinning up new worlds in every region currently the only region that has not got a new world is the u.s west region everybody else seems to have been getting uh new worlds eu uh has gotten three i think two or three new worlds already brand new 
uh, but you can transfer on them. And so the devs are also uh, hinting at that they're going to consider what's called a fresh start server. This will be something I'm really interested in your opinion on, where you cannot transfer in uh, to the world, like literally it would be just brand new land rush, like it was at launch, you know, day. We don't have details on it, so we don't yet know, but they've they've signaled that fresh start servers might be on the way. And my my concern as a as a longtime player of this game is that if you bring in fresh start servers, you're going to bring in these. That in my mind, that's a seasonal server. How long do you prevent people from transferring? How uh, how do you keep that population healthy uh, mm. if it is just that land rush? And that's why I hope, I hope, hope, hope that we see news and hear news about uh, crossplay. They say they said they were working on it back in, like in January. Uh, we have not gotten updates on it since then, but we are seeing signaling in game code that that is. I don't think it's going to be. I, I don't think it's going to be October, but I hope to be wrong. But that's essentially what's happening. I think essentially you have obviously a hype cycle for the game. They just opened the PTR so you can explore the new zone on the PTR. And it's just, it's magnificent. It literally shows the the, the both the, the capabilities and the confidence that the devs are getting in the game itself. They're also not just adding on to the new. One of my my biggest critiques of 14 is that they, all, they add all the new good stuff always at the current expansion on top. And then the rest of the game kind of really semi remains the same. They have gone back lightly and done some things like that but they're also not just adding in the new zone they're going through and retooling two of the main zones as well with plans to basically it sounds like touch every zone and really kind of bring up its quality and its identity within uh within the zone itself so um i don't know if we're gonna see uh, uh even better records uh this weekend or if we're gonna see a slow dip into it because we still have a while to go towards october and we're still waiting for whatever this big news is i personally could see that it kind of is stabilizing a little bit in its player population but i'd love to be wrong um and the other thing i haven't told you uh, that i'd love to get your thoughts on is that they've actually slid uh, each weekend they've increased the overall player population that can run on a single server so it first it was it, when it launched it was at 2000 previous weekend was at 2200 this last weekend they increased it to 2500 and i'm wondering if that's also a signaling of them testing out like the server architecture in terms of how many people they can put into the world. And with the new zone, it actually is going to be nice to have even more people on a server because the landmass is just is just exploding in terms of its size. So that's that's really what's going on. I think we have yet to see the biggest peak yet. And so now the the community ultimately is speculating, do we see it jump to 80, you know, with with the launch of October's Brimstone? Do we see it go it even higher? Um, personally speaking, I think that they've raised the floor in terms of the, you know, as we look at the, what the lower numbers were, I think that sets, a, that sets our floor. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that would be concerning for me in the long run is that if we see the game drop below that floor with all the improvements and the contents and the promise of a future. So I think we're setting a new floor. We just don't know what that floor is yet. So there's all kinds of moving parts. I'm really thrilled. I couldn't recommend it enough, but I've asked you, uh, put a lot of detail into your, into your brain. What's your take on servers, on the server cap, on the fresh start servers? I'd love to actually hear all your thoughts on it. Well, I want to start with fresh start servers because I I literally said they should do that. I like That's like a verbatim thing that we said, man, that early game, that new car smell, that early land rush is so fun. It'd be great if you could just go into a server and know that everybody's doing that. And mm -hmm. I also said that 
I think that idea, the full iteration of it, the full the full version, you know, its final form would be seasonal. You would you would go onto that server and have certain challenges and things that you would do very much akin to what No Man's Sky has been doing with their expeditions where you go mm-hmm. and what they would do on these seasonal servers is earn rates, XP and leveling would be like significantly heightened. You would you would level up significantly faster because this is a seasonal character that you would eventually transfer to either a traditional server or you would hand off any of the cool rewards you got. Maybe there's really cool cosmetics you can get. Like you could get a cape and a jetpack in No Man's Sky Expedition and then Mm -hmm. either convert that into a normal save or hand off the cool cosmetics to your main save, your main character. And so Mm -hmm. I love that. I hope that that's the beginnings of that idea because... There, I think there's a sweet spot for New World, and I don't think it's hardcore PvP territory control. I'm telling you, I my gut instinct about this game is you gotta land it in that mid lane, let people come and play it, and just it, play casually. You know, you know, fly casual. So I, I yeah, I, like I would say that there's a value in that, and not to I don't want them to abandon those features. Mm-hmm. But those aren't the the selling point. Like that's an that should be an option for people to jump jump in. And the thing I keep asking myself, and I'd love to see this actually across MMOs, is that I would love to see them dedicate. Like if they're going to do a fresh start server, what would be the difficulty of them making a PvP flagged server? Like you, you everybody's always flagged all the time as a server, as a as a way of put up or shut up, as a way of listen. There's a lot of talk that people say, but then do they really? actually follow through and that would be a really good data point for me to point to is saying like listen y'all kept saying that you wanted just pvp a a pvp server they made it there's three people on there like clearly (laughs) the talk does not match to the to the to the action or y'all made a a dedicated pvp server and it's got you know the biggest queue in the in the history of the game just to try to get on it oh clearly you know let's go ahead and make that you know a permanent setting so along with fresh start my hope is that it's that we could see them kind of create a special custom rules just to test out people's actual action as opposed to like a lot of people talk but are they actually willing to put in you know like and show up you know for that as well that's exactly right the the nature of pvp to me is always funny this just oh it so much reminds me of the sea of thieves debate a little bit because and i've conceded some aspects of that debate but i also think it's funny how if you tell people, hey, you know, we're going to give you this great environment where you can go and it'll only be PvP, there's always this hesitancy or this, I don't know if I would like that as much, right? I, yeah. I kind of like being in a server where there's some non-PvP folks running around and I can control the map and my community can kind of have a run for, for the server. And if, if I was in a server and everybody was PVP minded and the territory control was very much an ongoing tug of war, you know, I don't think I'd like that very much. I kind of like beating up on the server. Um, so I'd be interested to see if they did decide to go for, Hey, we've got some PVP only servers. Now we've got some PVE only Mm -hmm. servers now what that would lead to i happen to think <laughs> that the pve servers would be more popular personally oh always personally. Th- that's that's the thing that I, I i always see people make like pvp we want this this is gonna this is gonna bring back it's gonna save mmos and it's like 
you're a very vocal minority. Now, I actually am with you. Like, I like PvP. I like. I would play on a PvP server if it was always flagged. I would find that interesting. But it would also be nice, and that's one of the reasons why, like, when I play currently, when I'm playing, what you know, solo, I'm I'm flagged all the time because I I find that interesting and I like how what it does. But when I'm playing with others, they don't want that experience, so it's easy. It's nice to turn that off, and so I'd probably end up running different characters what really is going to be interesting is the we have a couple tests in the space that are being built and there's a lot of hope for ashes of creation and the riots mmo in which that ashes is trying to develop a always flag pvp but having a negative consequence a negative incentive to mm -hmm. just go up and start mm -hmm. fighting people and then within riot them saying listen if you want to play a single player game go play a single player game we're making a multiplayer mmo and that starts to kind of signal that force multiplayer which a lot of people like who have come into mmos tend to shy away from as well like oh i don't want to be forced to play with anybody i just want to be able to kind of jump in and that's going to be a really interesting test of the genre and what it means to be that whether that is sustainable or if that ends up proving out that turns out in order to maintain an mmo you need that that casual you really need that mid-core player uh, and those and they have their own requirements if you mm -hmm. want to try and capture the market so that you're financially viable. I think one yep. of it, like I hear a lot of arguments of the MMOs went like there's not enough volume of players that want that and are willing to pay for that, mm. even though they're very vocal. And so that's why I'm like, yeah, but you don't have I don't think you have to make a game a, a full game that is just that. So what I ex fully expect to happen at some point is that if Ashes launches and it's successful and then all of a sudden they start seeing huge population losses because people are like, yeah, there's just a group of people running around killing everybody and I'm not finding joy in this. If they say, hey, here's a dedicated PVE server that you know that that would that you can play on. And if that's the case that they do that, I think that it continues to show evidence that it's like, yeah, we you catch more flies with honey. Like, let, let's just let's just like <laughs> let's not we we know these things we we've seen these things proven out time and time again um but yeah we'll ultimately have to wait and see um what the details are of the fresh starts are because mm -hmm. we don't know like they just yeah. the, the devs have signaled they said we like fresh start servers too we're going to share information with you guys in a couple weeks mm -hmm. what's in a couple of weeks the one year anniversary of this game i'm betting we're going to see some kind of master or you know plan or, or something some kind of thing yeah you'll probably get me gushing about here in two weeks on the on the round table oh my god they did it you know or <laughs> this isn't this is not meant to sound like a victory lap but I, i'm there's an overarching point here because when the game mm -hmm. first came out i said one of the primary problems is there's no reason to run the the beginning dungeons because you out level them they change that they fix that Another mm -hmm. problem I highlighted on the dungeon. Second problem was you the the grind to get the currency to get the key to go into the dungeon is ridiculously arduous. They remove that. Dungeons need a group finder. They address that. I said that territory control is going to be a huge stigma and drive people away from the game, especially if they're PVE minded. Well, now if you're PVE, you don't even see territory control. I'm my batting average is pretty good with this game so far, and I'm <laughs> telling you, it seems all those things, all those things. And now fresh start servers, it's like at some point, those five things start to feel like a trajectory of the audience is telling you what they yeah. want. 
And it's unforeseen when you're originally designing the game. We have to remember, this game was going to be like Ashes. Always PvP all the time. You want to venture out and hit some rocks and chop some trees down? Somebody somebody might bludgeon you, okay? That is not the game that I feel like it's turning into. It just doesn't feel like it's that game. And I think sometimes it's okay to say... We didn't. We didn't anticipate this being what people wanted to do. My gosh, do you think Destiny anticipated a large portion of its player base living in the public space and running patrols? Like, I don't think right. that they thought people were going to do that. They built strikes. They built nightfalls. They built raids, and a large portion of their player base is doing this in the public space. Like, yeah. And and I think something that Destiny has masterfully done is they've created rings of stuff to do so the people running raids, trials, whatever they don't feel like this down here interferes with them and vice versa the people down here don't feel like that up there interferes with them they're almost separate circles or or they're almost like separate floors in a building and Mm. you just you're like I don't know what the guys on the 7th floor are doing who cares I'm I'm down here having a good time so if you could design New World (laughs) to be like that which is where I think PvE, PvP servers, seasonal servers, fresh start servers, you're offering a whole lot of floors to the building to let people enjoy the way they enjoy it. And I don't think that's anybody asking the game to be something that it's not. I think it's just the natural, organic, people combed over the game and these affinities and habits were born out of that. And if you feed that, it'll foster and grow. And I... I think this game could have a huge moment. I'm telling you, my my continued feeling and gut instinct is I have, like I said, a decent batting average on this game is they've really got to lean into the PvE and those expeditions because that's that's where the gold is. And if they could capstone that with seasonal grind and seasonal battle passes and all that cool stuff and that fresh feeling of a new character, man, Diablo did it, No Man's Sky did it. I This game's just prime for it, in my opinion. For a fresh start server, because obviously, uh, you know, you bring up the question of, of seasonal, like for that server to kind of live on, like, is that something that gets shut down and then you just kind of inherit some cool stuff from it? Or at some point, do you allow transfers on so that just becomes a natural functional world within the game? Say you yeah. put investment and then you don't want to let go of that. What would you say would be the net, like a good time frame? Uh, for a fresh start server to allow transfers on to basically kind of remove the uniqueness of what we assume a fresh start server is no transfers onto the server um yeah. so what would you say would be a natural time frame uh for that to kind of take over because my also concern in the next question to follow up that i'll let you lead into is the impact of streamers and streamer culture warring over a fresh start server with their giant communities and mm-hmm. does that have an impact on yeah. Just the regular mid-core player who's like, I just want to be a part of this. And all of a sudden, I we clearly lost this server completely because we, Shroud decided to return and, and dominate, you know, one faction over here. What do you think? Well, uh, yeah, let me go backwards through that. Uh, yeah. Let me go backwards through that. The streamer culture problem is one where collaboration and cooperation would probably be needed like hey if you're going to come back streamers reach out to us and at certain channel thresholds and certain sizes we'll consider designating servers for you in your community so everybody else knows to stay away from there do you know like make it crystal crystal clear 
this is where Asmongold is going and his mm-hmm. community can land rush it and first come first serve and guys like you know that to, that's not where to go right right I, so, so I think that's probably an easier thing to solve than many people might think it's like just literally work with the streamer say hey fill out this form at certain channel size thresholds we will we will entertain the idea of of designating a server for you so that you can say weeks in advance this is our server boys get in if you can and everybody else is like stay away from that friggin server right now Mm, yeah to everything else that you said that's why this feels like the seedbed of seasonal characters and seasonal uh, content because I envision a fresh start server being boot up get in here there's no territory control it's not about that okay no PvP Mm. no warring none of that it's about that feeling of leveling questing clearing the map doing all those things going in all the different areas grabbing all the stuff and you'd have everything moving at a faster clip. You'd be leveling up faster. All of your earn rates, farm rates, everything would be faster. And it would be a three-month thing. You'd have three mm-hmm. months to get all the stuff, check all the boxes, do all the things. And then after three months, they would give you the option. Would you like to migrate this character to a normal server? Or would mm-hmm. you like to basically retire the character but inherit all of the cosmetic unlocks that you got for your main character because let's say you have a main character on a server you're heavily invested you got everything going and you're like well i want that awesome cape and crown and transmog stuff that i earned but that character's kind of throwaway to me i just enjoyed grinding out that season it was so much fun guess what it's time for a new character new season new fresh start now you got another three months so they would automatically reset the server and your character would just be sitting there on the main menu of like what do you want to do with this character mm-hmm. I, I'm telling you that's that's the winning ticket for a game like this because it combines the two worlds so beautifully just No Man's Sky and Diablo I think I think No Man's Sky maybe more than Diablo has really mastered that format I just I feel like New World is begging for that to be a thing and that doesn't need to take away from the people that are like you know, I want to be on a PvP right. server. I want to be fighting and warring and territory control. Cool, man. Do it. Exactly. I'm gonna be over yeah. here. I'm gonna be over here. I gotta tell you, I would, I would probably play what I'm describing. I would probably do that. You know, it could be a would, lot of fun. I think yeah. as long as they communicate that obviously beforehand, because the worst case scenario is you start on a fresh start server and then in three months you're like, wait, what? What's happening? <laughs> I was, uh, I took a week off and I came back and all of a sudden things changed and. You know things like that, but as long as that was essentially communicated, that 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 actually kind of also somewhat solves the problem as these MMOs continue to progress and progress, that you end up establishing kind of a that seasonal game mode. And I don't know if that has to be like three months and then a brand new thing starts up, or if it ends up being like, listen, every year during you know, September, October, November, like this is some kind of thing that you can choose to optionally participate in, and it has cool rewards. It has all these unique things that you can choose to do. And here are the rules of that. And I think that could be that honestly very tempting because, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's definitely that idea that everybody's kind of starting fresh, that mm-hmm. if you're coming in as a new player, you can have this experience and you're not sitting here competing against guys like me who maybe never have taken time off yep. and have endless wealth and endless resources to kind of just do whatever they want, whether that's for good or for bad. And that's one of the problems that persistent online games tend to face after five years. 10 years, 15 yep. years, 
you know, where a lot of people feel intimidated about stepping into the to the first time because mm-hmm. they're automatically at a, uh, a a natural disadvantage. It solves two humongous problems too. If you're doing this every three months, like on a seasonal interval, it solves the problem of the returning player and the new player feeling like I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It's yeah. really it's really easy start a seasonal character it'll walk you through everything that's been updated and changed guess what you sort of get a walking tour of the game here's every quality of life update we've added since you last played or oh hey you're new no problem this is how the game works you're going to go through every single thing that we've updated you're getting to enjoy the best version of new world Mm -hmm. and it's a little expedited so you feel like you're kind of catching up once the season's over, guess what? You have a shiny, new, decked-out character ready for endgame. Like, that to me is a, a new and returning player acquisition funnel that does so much for you. You don't have to go in and handhold. That funnel just does it. It, it takes care mm. of it in an organic way, not sort of a mechanical, clinical way of like, welcome back. He has 85 <laughs> screens that you have to read, and you're like, what the frick? I don't know what any of this right. is. I, I'm telling you, I, th- there's something sweet there, because every time I come back to No Man's Sky for a new expedition and I jump in, and I start checking the boxes, and every time I check a box on the expedition, I'm getting a bunch of currency and a bunch of rewards, and I feel like I, I love this. Like I'm, I'm, I'm powering up as a character once again to trudge out into the universe. I, I, I'm, I'm feeling that itch. I'm like, man, if New World did that, buddy, I'd be there. I'd be, I'd be grinding it out. I'd grind out a seasonal character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'll keep you obviously up to date because right now we're seeing a lot of positive growth. I, I you know, with all things that go up, we're, you know, there's going to be some point where they dip back down. And that in and of itself is also tying into gaming and MMO culture where the majority of players are seasonal players. And then you end up having kind of a smaller, more dedicated group that just lives in the one uh, game forever, you know, for however long in that regard. So um, it's going to be great to see. I'm personally very excited just from an, an analytic and number perspective, namely because obviously over the last year, dead game, you know, meme always kind of coming out and it's like, no, like the only like the only time that this game's in trouble is that they, if Amazon and the devs decide that they don't want to put more resources and time into it. But right now it's showing that they're clearly continuing and excited to invest money and, and make more content and, and improve not just the, the level 60 experience, but the level one experience, the level two experience, and all the way through really listening to feedback, which honestly, if, if nothing else, whatever other MMO that they're working on, because we know that they're working on building out another MMORPG and they've been working on that, like the lessons they can learn from New World, its launch, its one year one, year two, all of a sudden you could be looking at uh, a company just ready to kind of really step into its, you know, its next chapter, like, you know, firing on all cylinders. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was a lot this week from Tokyo Game Show with yeah. people, you know, people trying to get their trailers out, their announcements out, and Square Enix yes, showed up and they've got a lot of things going on and I my the, the most exciting part for me was when they showed Forspoken in Japanese and suddenly mm-hmm. I was like this looks like an amazing awesome game. I felt like I was watching some epic anime because I didn't have subpar writing and voice acting getting in the way it's like oh there's a good game here you know 
and a lot of people remarked and said that the Japanese trailer got them excited for First Spoken. I think I might actually play First Spoken with Japanese voice actors and subtitles mm. because I think I'll enjoy the game significantly more, which that might be a bummer if a bunch of people do that for whoever they hired to be the voice actor for the main character. <laughs> but I, it was just interesting. And so, you know, give me your thoughts on that and then give me everything else that you wanted to talk about with Square Enix as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, First Spoken also was strategically delayed uh, outside of the the God of War phase. So that's one of the games that I think actually could uh, benefit uh, For Spoken as well as when that decides to launch. Uh, it looks like a beautiful game, especially since they delivered it. This is the Luminous team, the team behind Final Fantasy 15 as well. So hoping to see them, you know, kind of be able to flex on some of the lessons and technology that they have available uh, for them. Now, um, at its core, though, like it isn't Forspoken that has essentially got me the most excited about what Square Enix is delivering. That's kind of their modern take. When we look at 16, which is set up for summer of 20 uh, of next year, I think that also has uh, a lot of a lot of me really excited for the next iteration into the numbered Final Fantasy series. But there's still complaints that people say, like, they really wish that Final Fantasy would go back to maybe a turn-based route. And I just don't see that happening. They could always do that. They did that kind of semi with nine after going, you know, from seven and eight, having more of a modern take, stepping back more into kind of a fantasy-based feel with the four-person party. That happened back in the PlayStation era. It really hasn't happened since. It keeps stepping up. And so then, that's what we also see them announcing uh, here at TGS at the uh, Square Enix event. Uh, Octopath Traveler 2 announced. Uh, this is has me excited because there's a couple uh, weaknesses I felt Octopath Traveler had. I enjoyed my overall experience. The 2D HD technology, which we've seen them bring a live alive remaster to. Mm-hmm. I really hope it sees them go through like all of their classic NES and SNES games and give it that 2D HD uh, look and feel. But we're seeing that they're continuing on. The cool thing about Octopath Traveler 2 and the weird thing about it, first and foremost, Octopath Traveler originally launched on Switch and then trickled out to other platforms, eventually being everywhere, including Xbox on Game Pass. Octopath Traveler 2 launching on Switch, PlayStation 4, 5, and Steam. No Xbox, no Stadia. So there are definitely some limitations to the platforms that they're launching. But the nice thing is it's launching on Steam. So that means it's an instant purchase on Steam because I will play that on Steam Deck over my uh, Switch any day of the week. Uh, Then you also see coming out of it, not just necessarily Square, but we're seeing also older remakes, Sui Coden 1 and 2 coming out of TGS. Like, as a JRPG nerd, as somebody who grew up like within that kind of space, and the fact that I can play these on Steam has me thrilled. Project Triangle Strategy, or uh, we can drop Project now, launched on uh, on uh, Switch. Now is also coming out to Steam. I think that's a, an important title. And my hope is is that, especially with Octopath Traveler, is that we start to see them in these 2D HD games be multi-platform. But the question off to you is: Is the lack of an Xbox port especially when it's going everywhere else, especially because they announced Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core is also coming to Xbox. Like, Mm. I don't get where the hell Square Enix is. Are they completely done with Xbox? Like, what kind of contractual deal is going on with Sony and keeping games off of Xbox or letting certain games on Xbox? I literally cannot figure out what the play is. Are they going to get married? Or, you know, is this some kind of like, you know, you know key situation like you'd go to a key party like in the 70s where it's like okay you know like tonight all right but not tomorrow like it's really weird so what's your take on that yeah 
I don't ever really understand quite what's going on with the selective this is exclusive this is not Sony and Square you know they obviously have a history Square closed and shuttered a lot of the western studios we thought oh they're shrinking Sony's going to scoop them up they'll scoop up the Japan division and they they seem to be potentially working you know to protect themselves maybe as well like we don't want you to get bought out or mm-hmm. you know we don't want you to play nice with Xbox because obviously Final Fantasy got brought up in the big Call of Duty exclusive debate people were like well Sony's being hypocritical because you know they won't let Final <laughs> Fantasy come over here and I was like well no they're not being hypocritical because Sony isn't taking an issue with exclusivity because both sides have done this they they buy up a game they scoop up a game they they limit it to one platform you know Xbox did it with Tomb Raider. Xbox notoriously did this with Call of Duty for years before Sony locked them down. And I don't know if this is going to change anytime soon because it does seem like we're entering into a new era that many have dubbed this. We're not we're not going to really be in a console war anymore. It's a content war. We're mm, buying yeah. up we're buying up studios. We're buying up content because we want this content to be controlled by us now that doesn't mean that the content will always be locked down to one platform because sony has all but said they they said in an interview that all future bungie titles will be multi-platform after that acquisition they have also they've all but said it that all of their live service games will be multi-platform because so you know bungie's looking i'm sorry sony got bungie to help them with the live service push and they likely started looking at destiny's numbers and said you know, multi-platform is the way forward for this. You can't really do live service and restrict it to a certain platform. So with, with, with games like Final Fantasy that have that history and they more than likely have a pretty strong Asian market pull, I could see Sony doing this purely as a, this is, we want this for our platform, we want this for our customers. I could yeah. also see them saying, what do we care? Like, it's not going to sell well anyway on the Xbox in that market I I don't really have uh, an opinion on companies doing exclusives like if they want to buy a company buy a game or pay a game for timed exclusivity you know that's whatever I, yeah. I, I actually I don't have a strong opinion on it but I hope that they would move away from this to a certain extent I don't it's, care if you buy Insomniac, Gorilla, or Santa Monica and then say, we want great first-party titles. I think that's totally legitimate and fine. That's you investing in your platform. But going to a company and saying, hey, that's a great game you made there. We would like it only on ours. Or we would like some quests and some different items to only be available on ours, like they're doing with Hogwarts. I'm like, what the? what is this? Like, what? I don't... I don't when they, especially when they do that with Call of Duty, like, hands down. But my thing, especially with Square Enix, is like, they're obviously paying for that. Like they are paying because essentially when you look at it from a business perspective, you're like, all right, I'm, I'm projected to make $3 million by putting this on Xbox or whatever number, whatever the number is. Well then, yeah. Sony's like, well, okay. Yeah, we can, we can pay for that. So we incentivize, but I don't know what that ultimate cost is because they're clearly bringing it to steam, which essentially is like, they're, you know, like it's not truly, it's not exclusive. Like when people talk about how, Xbox has exclusives is like no 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 they've actually gotten away from that because you can play on PC like you can like you're not restricted to a you know buying a console which is what you were in the past and I don't and I think that's a good thing I think that's actually a good right. thing but I don't define that I don't define that ever as exclusive I never will 
um because that's not what that means to me but you know they're they're trying the narrative's trying to change but what then at some point like how much is that costing sony to the point where like like i see creature saying like i feels like square enix and sony are ring shopping like this is some kind of just defense mechanism against like microsoft trying to buy them perhaps and or you know does this not just frustrate microsoft to the point where that number gets so high that the the shareholders just have to say all right i you win you win we're gonna go ahead and just do this or you know are we gonna finally hear some news because if sony come, came out tomorrow and said hey we're buying square enix cool and we're gonna bring their games to play like places cool like i think that uh, that increases their their content offering like content being king I think that increases their content offering. If they said, hey, we're buying Square Enix and the only place that you can play their games is on PlayStation, I think everybody loses. I think everybody loses in that case. So I'm kind of in some way kind of like just saying like with these weird deals, like just buy them, but still then say, yeah, we're going to put it everywhere, just not on Xbox. And then Xbox buys stuff and then we're like, hey, we're going to put it everywhere, just not on PlayStation. And then at some point that gets fixed like i I just that's my hope is that in terms of like negotiating power between the two companies they say hey listen we'll let you have final fantasy if you let us have call of duty and then it's you know everybody wins (laughs) everybody wins but that way you don't end up having one company with just too much power uh in the gaming space maybe this is too simplistic maybe i'm thinking too narrowly here but i don't know why they don't just say hey we're going to buy this company, this is now our property, and we're going to ensure that our platform is the best place to play it. We'll have extra awesome goodies at the start, we'll give our platform 48 hours of early access, we'll give our platform, you know, a beta. And then be like, yeah, sure, you can buy it on Xbox, yeah, that's no problem. Sure, we'll make money on your platform but you will not be the premier place to play the game. And I have a feeling that's what Microsoft is going to do with Call of Duty. They're going to say, listen, the, you know, let's say Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 is a thing. Let's just say it's a thing. And mm-hmm. it's going to launch in 2024. And the acquisition's gone through. I could see Microsoft saying, play Modern Warfare 3 on Game Pass day and date. And there's going to be all these, like, spiffs for the people who have Game Pass. There'll be a skin, there'll be an unlock, there'll be this and there'll be that. And then they'll let everybody on PlayStation buy the game at full price. So they're doing both. They're making their platform look like the better place to play and experience Call of Duty while making billions off of another platform where it's the the proof is in the pudding. 48% of Call of Duty sales come from PlayStation. So... I don't know why more companies don't follow that model. I'm not saying do that with God of War and Spider-Man and Halo. Like, I do think there are some some identity iconic driving characters and franchises that you just sort of leave alone. Mm-hmm. But I also think they scooped up Bungie and they're like, yeah, all of Bungie stuff's going to be multi-platform and we're going to make the money from that. Same with their live service games. Same with Final Fantasy. Like, I just... There might be something more underneath the surface. There does seem to be something going on with some of the Japanese-owned companies. Uh, it, it seemed like there were some things maybe happening with From Software. It also seemed that you know Tencent was trying to protect Yubi mm-hmm. from getting bought yeah. out. They went up to forty-nine percent, you know, of controlling shared interest, and maybe that was them trying to help Yubi not get bought or something. I there's some there's definitely some seeming 
it seems like preliminary preparations are happening for something bigger and it's possible everyone's holding their breath for the Microsoft Activision Blizzard deal they want that to close maybe before everything else happens because I think that's a big breath hold right now everyone's like what's Mm -hmm. gonna happen with that that the CMA, the UK regulators, are going to phase two. They're they're really wanting to investigate it. They want assurances about Call of Duty. So maybe there's some acquisitions and some buyouts that are on pause right now because they want that thing to go through first. Oh yeah, yeah. You don't want to sit here and interrupt this this massive land deal because then. But Phil Spencer's also signaled that there's more acquisitions that he wants to make, and that's the that's the danger of Game Pass from his perspective is that he's created a monolith of. Uh, a system that's hungry for content, right? And so you, in order to drive the value, you have to have and feed the, the machine. And so there's definitely, I think, when, when you look at their offerings, there's definitely more, you know, things that could provide content for them that would be of value. And that could be within gaming or that could be within, if you know, rumors of them buying Netflix or something of that nature to where all of a sudden it's like, here's your one-stop entertainment shop, you know, kind of package. Uh, but yeah, we'll have to ultimately wait and see. Uh, you know, with uh, there's so many acquisitions going on, sometimes it's even hard to keep up. Just as we were talking in the last segment about New World, like running around the PTR and Brimstone Sands, like there was some very Stargate style, uh, you know, structures in the game. And then I was kind of laughing about it because I was like, hey, who owns Stargate? Oh, it turns out actually Amazon owns Stargate. <laughs> you know, like they bought them with the MGM acquisition. And I was like, how would a twist this would be? Like in all these acquisitions that they start integrating some of their own other properties uh, into their into this whole ecosystem. And so just like with with this, with Square, yeah, I think it is in a way kind of like a defense against self-destruction. It's like, okay, cool. Like as long as nobody has like all the power and influence, then we can negotiate uh, within yeah, and, and within ourselves and whatever our platforms are. And ultimately competition is going to be something that helps us as gamers win out in the end more player choice more player freedom i think the next battle for players outside of like scoring like in the you know this topic of square enix is being able to take your game saves to other platforms like if your save can go with you on another platform i think that's the next battle because we've been fighting for cross play cross save once that's all like said and done the next thing is to be able to say yeah your save goes with you like if, if you if you're if you're tired of playing in you know whatever ecosystem because they're doing, you know, they're pulling shenanigans, raising the price on you and stuff like that. And you do, and you want to like go elsewhere, you know, then as long as your saves can stuff can uh, carry with you, then I think that would be another gamer first initiative, personally speaking. Uh, Call of Duty's doing that with their, there's going to be a new social, there's going to be a new social integration so that battle pass progression and progression of your character will be cross-platform Woo-hoo. now they now they yeah. might have meant between console and mobile but it did seem no it's it's got to be account based like that we're seeing and when i say cross play cross save that's that's the fight that we're kind of wrapping up and we're seeing more integration which is a win what i'm talking about is like imagine in your single player game like you take your save and move it over to like a completely other platform that isn't oh. fresh now that could be cloud-based that could be you know yeah. uh, uh multiverses is absolutely cross play cross save so it's it's rooted in that, but it's obviously not within everything. Like if I play Sonic on Xbox and then I go to Switch, I don't have any progress that carries over. And that would be the next, what I would consider the next kind of goal for gamers to, to really kind of give us that, that level of freedom. But some games are doing it. And the idea is that the more that that happens, the more that players 
come to expect that then when a game doesn't do it it actually then is like you get that immediate feedback yeah somebody in chat saying cross by would be even better i mean that's a pipe oh dream. that's not gonna be that's not gonna happen yeah that's a bit I, of a honestly actually i would actually fight against cross by um because essentially like i have no problem buying a game multiple places and playing it in multiple places so if they said i needed to buy this game here and here to, in order to play it but then all of my stuff is always there i absolutely feel like that's fine because i'm supporting both the platform and the developer and that concept so i would be fully on board for cross buy because essentially that is player that is still player choice but it's also player funding of that that offering um so to speak i would be also be fine if they decided to bundle a cross buy saying hey pay 120 bucks and guess what here's the keys for every platform we're on you know like i would i would be fine if they wanted to bundle that as a sale but i believe that platforms should get their cut i believe the platform should you know uh should not necessarily just like oh you bought it on xbox here's it on playstation i don't i don't think that is actually fair in the long run because of the development time importing a game yeah and that just furthers this notion of you know spending money on games is becoming almost people are see i don't know it's like people are allergic to spending money on games in some situations you know we, yeah. we kind of debated this the other day and i i said i felt like there was this there was this very odd is it on game pass phenomenon happening where people yeah. and i and i found myself doing this someone would say oh there's a new game out you should check it out you should play it or whatever and the first thing i said was oh is it on game pass almost like can i go can i go can i go get it there for free first and if that's happening to me as someone who owns every system and you know generally i'm fine with buying a game and then covering it and making content with it and if that's still happening in my brain imagine what's happening in you know the the hive mind at large when something comes out i see people say it in my chat oh i'll wait for it to hit game pass is it on game pass you know and that that's spreading this idea of like this allergy to buying games people are like why do i spend money on a game or the city is why do i have to buy the game again it's like what do you what do you mean you bought it at a different store a different storefront a different platform so i yeah that would be pretty destructive to allow cross buy i i think cross play cross progression makes sense because it's all server side as long you know i'm buying the game again what what difference does it make if i'm you know cloud saving and coming into the game as long as i you know paid for it again i I don't see the issue there yeah so yeah yeah i i think ultimately that content war is going to continue to met out and not do things that we it's going to do things that we don't like Uh, you know i don't like what they're doing with hogwarts even though i'm going to buy it on ps5 and probably enjoy the heck out of the game i'm like man oh man this feels like a step backwards this feels like something from a bygone era you know of buying up potions and quests and saying oh they're only on our platform i'm just not i'm just not down with that i don't think that's a good way to treat the art and i think timed exclusives feel similarly you know unpleasant it's like you make people wait a year to get the game it was a bad game but it was also a timed exclusive and uh, uh square enix is shutting down babylon's fall it was exclusive uh to PlayStation and it's never come to Xbox because they shutting that thing down. Um, it's 
it's unfortunate because if even if it was a good game and it just couldn't find adoption like that does show you that in a multiplayer world like why are you cutting why are you cutting yourself off of the knees and so my hope is that that is in part lesson it's unfortunate because obviously the game was not well received it definitely was not a, like a game that you would want to highlight as as the sacrificial lamb on the, on the altar for that but the my when i look at this a, absolute aspect i was like well that's that's i really hope people look at this timed exclusive multiplayer game as a real bad idea mhm yeah Zubair says it's a separate category. Movies are see in the theater, rent or skip. Game Pass is the new rent category. I'm not buying this, but if I have a low barrier of entry, I'll try it. The only problem I think that there is with that analogy, there's a qualitative difference between when you rent the movie and see it in the theater. You know, you don't get the size of the screen. You don't get the, the live audience. You don't get the, the sound and the rumble, right? And so there's yeah. a qualitative difference there. So you know that you're getting a different version of the movie to a certain degree it's the same movie and all the same things happen but you're getting a slightly diminished version and slightly diminished experience now depending on the theater i mean and depending on your home it might not be that diminished because people have amazing you know home theater experiences now and going to the theater sometimes feels like a step down because the floor is sticky and there's a kid crying but (laughs) but i do think that that game pass is becoming that that I don't want to buy games. Why would I buy games? That mentality, I think, is spreading. And I still have concerns about what that'll do long-term to the market as that mentality spreads. Not that we can't have diminishing value. Like, oh, the game's been out for a year, so now it's on sale. Or now you can get it bundled. You can buy this yeah. game with all of its DLC at a discounted cost. I definitely think there's a diminishing sort of uh, a depreciation of value over time of anything like that but but game pass just continues to worry me with i use it and i enjoy it but i even notice it's doing something to me as a consumer passively where that low entry point of just install it and try it out you know and i love doing that on my sony but i'm paying for that and it's a trial to where if the game hooks me now I have to buy it. I I just feel like that offers the same value, but it protects consumer and developer in a more healthy way. Obviously, yeah, I agree. That's just my opinion. But when you compare the two, I have way more concerns about one over the other. Now we are we've been this week and last week we've been taking people over to our reaction channel, which I know you wanted to discuss that with me. No, but, I loved it. It was great. Yeah. What's your sketch? What, what, when do you need to be done? Do you need to be done at four? My wife is like literally texting a colleague. So like if we, we can have a quick discussion around it or we could save that for another day, uh, it really up to you. So it's like, uh, it would benefit me probably <laughs> if I can go and help her. Uh, as I, she's, I, she's and- been preparing. I anticipated that. I anticipated that because I felt like each week you were kind of like muting the mic and like staring at the door worried it was going to get beat she, down. She was crawling down behind here because she didn't want to be on camera because she needed to get something from uh, <laughs> out of the shelf. And I was like, I'm about to talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So sometimes it throws me for a loop. I foresaw that I had like a, a prophetic vision and I thought, you know what? I'll, we'll we'll end this show and we're actually going to go you guys are going to want to see this this is a cyberpunk video this guy wrote like a love letter to cyberpunk it's probably one of the most touching videos I think I've ever seen I really enjoyed it 
and uh, he doesn't he doesn't change my mind about cyberpunk but it's kind of a beautiful video and I, I really enjoyed it so I'm gonna take everybody over there with a redirect and then we'll come back here for members only so I, we're gonna let ginger go so that he can take care of everything he's got going on this is always a we appreciate him being on the show because it's always a bit of a tight window for him he's got you know sometimes the kids are beating the door down so before we do that though ginger let yeah. everybody know the best place they can find your content uh, the best place is over on YouTube. Uh, Ginger Prime's the main channel, and uh, I've discovered that it's a lot more fun for me to talk about individual games, especially you know games of service games like Final Fantasy uh, and New World and like Blue Protocol when breaking them out into their own specific channel. So if you start on Ginger Prime, you'll be able to really kind of find everything uh, that you want. And in fact, one of the things that uh, Lono and I need to probably talk about maybe next week is a, a special bonus after show is the 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 changes that youtube is finally looking to make in terms of how live stream content short content all that's going to be handled so personally speaking i think that's going to benefit us greatly in how we actually manage kind of our content and our content schedule but um that's the best place to start friday nights i stream over on the purple platform whether you uh, want to support that or not you can always come hang out uh but the best place from there is just uh, if you want to get more connected jump into the discord and, uh, and join in the conversations that are going on when videos aren't going up. But that's the where I would point you to as the best place to start. You can always follow me over on Twitter and all the social platforms, yada, yada, yada. Um, but I just appreciate being a part of the show and uh, getting to hang out with you guys on Fridays and talk games because it's great because it, there's so many other parts. Like I want to talk about shooters, but nobody cares about my opinion about shooters on Prime. They're like, talk about MMOs, talk about <laughs> RPGs. Right. <laughs> Well, if everybody in the audience holds tight, we're going to redirect over to this reaction video of mine to Cyberpunk. We'll come back here for members only. Don't forget that it is Friday, and we hit a big member goal this week, so my wife and I are going to be playing a game tonight that she does not want to play, and you're not going to want to miss that if you're a member. So if redirect is traditionally not very good for you, you can use the link in chat, but when this stream ends, it's going to carry you guys over there, and then I will instantly publish publish that video and let you guys enjoy that. So I'll see you over there, and I'll see you back here for members only. Thanks for watching or listening to another episode of the Reforge Roundtable. We'll see you next week.